Well, we are going to uh, continue on uh, with our time here this morning, and uh, we're going to continue on through a discussion uh, on the scriptures of Jesus. Uh, the reason we do this, of course, is because we believe that in our spiritual journey, while we have some things figured out, while we can kind of perhaps look within us and figure some things out or look in different places outside of us and figure some things out, we believe we need a guide. And here at Ethnos, we believe Jesus is a very unique guide for us. In fact, we believe that his life, his death, his resurrection, things that happened some 2,000 years ago were so significant that even today, he is a worthwhile and worthy guide for our lives. And so every Sunday, we take a moment to look at the scriptures of Jesus to help us in our spiritual journeys. And this Sunday, uh, we're going to continue on in our summer series that we've been on. And we're going to be looking again at the life of someone named Abram. This was a person who existed some 2,000 years ago before Jesus was here, so 4,000 years from our time. His story is recorded and is known uh, by many people from different religions. And so this summer, we've been taking a look at his story, which are embedded in the scriptures of Jesus, with this idea that we can find guidance and help in our spiritual journey. Uh, as usual, though, as we get started with today, I want to get started with a question that will help us prepare for the scriptures that we're about to encounter. And this question may be a little bit uh, personal, and it may bring up some difficult uh, feelings and difficult moments. Uh, I'm sorry if it triggers anything, but I hope uh, you'll be able to begin to engage this question so that we can dive in to what I believe God has for us in these scriptures here this morning. Question is on the screen. Um, there it is. It's, it's pretty straightforward, but perhaps pretty touchy. Have you ever felt like God has overlooked you, that he doesn't really see you? If your answer is yes, perhaps you can share about the last time you felt that way. If your answer is no, that's great. Maybe you can just listen to the people at your table. Why don't you take a moment and turn to the people next to you and spend about two minutes just processing this question. Have you ever felt like God has overlooked you, that he doesn't see you? About 20 more seconds, 20 more seconds. All right, does, does anyone want to share with uh, the rest of us kind of your thoughts, reflections, what this question is getting you to think about? Yeah, over here. All right, getting started over here, yeah. Um, I think I've been on both sides of the spectrum. I feel like there are times where I, I feel like I'm asking God for something or at least a sign that, like, he's there, and it doesn't seem to happen that way. Um, but then there's also times where I feel like, on this journey with God, there might be a certain point. I've had a certain point where I felt like God was looking at me all the time. Uh, so it's like every little thing that I did, I was very meticulous about and kind of like worried that I was doing something wrong. And I was trying to make sure that I was playing by the rule book and trying to do different things. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. Let's give it up for Jenny. Thank you for getting started. Yeah. Yeah. Other thoughts? What does this uh, question get you thinking of? Anybody else want to share? Anybody else? Yeah, okay, over here. Well, both of you raise your hand. Yeah. Good morning. 
sometimes I think that God tests you and puts you through trials. And before they end, you think that um, he's overlooked you and that you're experiencing a struggle and, uh, you know, it's God's fault. But um, uh, if you stick to your faith and, and you stay strong, you'll notice that he hasn't overlooked you. He wants to see if you stayed faithful. Thanks, Jose. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And then Tom? Yeah. Um, good morning, everyone. I uh, never really necessarily felt that God overlooked me, but the silence sometimes. Like, in, you could be in a spot, and there's a, a, a condition like the dark night of the soul where God is, you don't sense God, but he's actively working in the background. And so that's probably where I would say it sometimes. Sometimes there's like a silence and say, God, where are you? Like, I want to understand what, you know, this better. And uh, so that's more of my, my take on it. All right. Thanks, Tom. Let's give it for Tom. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else want to share kind of their reflections so far on this question? Well, today, as we get ready to jump into the scriptures of Jesus, um, we're going to talk about God and his seeing us. Uh, we're going to read a story about some people who feel like they were overlooked by God in some very significant ways. And through the story, this message is going, to, is going to come loud and clear that God actually sees us, that he really does. But not only does he see us, God actually does much more than simply see us. We're going to take a look at what that means, how he does more. And I think through this story, uh, I think many of us, I hope many of us will find encouragement for where we are right now in our journey. Let's take a look at our story here on uh, the sheets. Some of you are familiar, again, with the story we've been in. It's the story of Abram and his wife, Sarai. And these two individuals have been on a journey with God. Uh, prior to the story, about 10 years before the story, 10 years is where we kind of first started the journey at the beginning of summer uh, in, in this development of, of the story. About 10 years prior to what we're about to read, God showed up to Abram and Sarah and gave them a vision and a purpose for their lives. God had told them, I am going to give you a blessing and not only give you a blessing for your life, but I'm going to bless you in such a way so significantly that you will be a blessing to the rest of the world. Now, part of that blessing involved Sarah and Abram having a child together. God was going to bless the world through this child. However, years pass. In fact, 10 years pass where they are unable to have this child. And so for the last 10 years, they have been up and down, close and far to God, trying to figure out how this blessing was going to come. We've read through a number of the episodes in their story up till this point, but they finally get to this place where something happens, something drastic happens. Let's take a look at how this story unfolds. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, 
Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well called Bir Leroy lies between Kadesh and Bered. Bir Leroy meaning the living God who sees. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, this is a really fascinating story. As we dive into the story, I think it should be quickly acknowledged that there are some drastically inappropriate things going on. Let's just be honest. First of all, Abraham and Sarah, they can't have a kid. They're getting a little anxious. It's been 10 years. And so what they do, especially to our modern ears, sounds pretty terrible. They take Hagar's servant. In actuality, she's a slave. Servant is a nice translation of the original world. She's a slave. They take a slave and basically say, you know what? Why don't you just have sex with the slave and have this kid? Maybe God's preventing me from having kids, and maybe it's meant to be through my slave. And so they force this woman, who has no choice, who has no agency, to have sex and bear a child for them. Now, there are a couple of things that are drastically wrong, I think, with this. And I think you probably feel it as well as you've read this story. Number one, the fact that Her- Abram and Sarai, supposedly people who follow God, supposedly people who actually in the previous story last week were declared righteous, declared good people because they trusted God. And here all of a sudden, they're just not trusting him. They're taking things into their own hands. And not only are they taking things into their own hands, they're doing some pretty nasty things to other people in order to make their idea, their desires come to fruition. Now, I think it's easy, of course, for us to read this and judge them very quickly and be like, man, what kind of, what kind of people will do this sort of thing? This is terrible. I mean, first of all, owning slaves, but then second of all, forcing 
your slaves have sex with you so you can do it. I mean, it's just terrible. It's like, it's like what we think of when we think of American slavery and the horrors of American slavery. Now, here's the, here's the problem, though. Before we cast our stones too quickly, cast judgment too quickly, I think we should be honest with ourselves that oftentimes we do these sort of things as well. Oftentimes we get impatient with God. We get impatient with a promise that we feel like God has made to us. And we don't even last 10 years, right? After 10 hours, <laughs> we're pretty impatient. And we're like, God, if you're not going to do what you said to do, screw it. I'm going to do things my own way. And even after those 10 hours, and when we, when we do things our own way, we also engage in culturally appropriate things that are actually drastically inappropriate before God and others. I mean, this, what, what Abraham and Sarah did was somehow acceptable in their society, if you look into the society of that time. But for us, obviously, who have some distance from this society, we're like, man, this is messed up. This is, this is wrong. But how many times do we do the same thing today? We engage in certain things that are culturally appropriate. But if we would step back, truth be told, those things are utterly destructive towards others, towards God. They dishonor God. They dishonor other people. And so in many ways, we are Abraham and Sarah here in this story. We get impatient. We decide not to trust God. We take things into our own hands. We do it our own way. Ways that harm others and dishonor God. But the second thing about this story that I find very fascinating, of course, is what happens to this warm woman named Hagar, this slave, Hagar. I mean, first of all, let's just be honest. This is not at all a good situation. Some of you, some of us, have been in those situations where agency has been taken away from us. And as a result, other people have violated us in the deepest and most painful of ways. Some of us identify with Hagar because we have been in those situations. And so Hagar is violated, is, is, is just treated like an object because in that society she is, she's a slave. She gets a little proud, right? She's like, well, wow, I actually conceived, and this whole thing they wanted me to do for them is actually happening. So she gets a little proud and kind of looks down on her mistress. The mistress, of course, gets upset. And Abraham, supposedly, again, last week, supposedly this really amazing, good, righteous person says, well, like Sarah, she's your slave. Just do whatever you want. Wow. That doesn't feel good. And so Hagar runs away, and this is where the story, I think, gets really interesting. Because lo and behold, God, the God who made Abram a promise, the God who is supposedly on Abram's side, guess what? He's also on Hagar's side, too. And this God shows up to Hagar and says, Hagar, don't worry. I have a plan for you and your son. I'm going to bless your son. 
In fact, I need you to name your son Ishmael because I've heard you, Hagar. And not only have I heard you, I see you. And what's really powerful about this story is not only does Hagar understand that, but she understands it in such a way that Hagar is the first person in all the scriptures of Jesus to actually name God in response. Did you know how that happens? So she called, I'm looking at number 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. The more literal translation is this. So she named God. God, you are a God who sees me. I wonder if today, if some of us feel like God is not seeing us. I wonder if today some of us feel like Hagar. We've been pushed around. Other people have taken advantage of us. Other people are making decisions for us that have made us want to run away. It may be at work. It may be with your family. It may be in certain circumstances that you just can't control. I wonder if some of us actually feel like Sarah as well. You know, the story isn't just about Hagar not being seen. I think Sarah feels the same way, doesn't she? God, for 10 years, you promised something. 10 years have passed. Nothing's happening. Do you even see me, God? Now, the amazing thing about this story isn't just that God sees Hagar. God actually goes beyond seeing and does something even more. We've talked every week how this story, when Jesus grabs a hold of this story, these are in the scriptures of Jesus. Jesus constantly is telling people, did you realize these scriptures actually point to me and point to the story that I am about to complete? And what happens when Jesus comes, some many years after this story, is Jesus comes and doesn't just say, hey, God sees you, God understands you, but guess what? God is also going to be the slave. He's actually going to be the servant so that he can not only understand and fully know you and walk with you, but also take the place of you so that you can be free. Notice, notice how the scriptures continue. We have this in our final excerpt here this morning. It's from a scripture written some thousands of years later talking about God coming in the person of Jesus. And notice how Jesus is described. It says, in your relationships with one another, this is found in a letter written to the early Jesus followers of the time. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, 
being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature, and here's our word, of a servant. Again, the better literal translation, these are nice English translations, is slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, as a slave, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's so amazing about God is not just that he sees us and he meets us in our compassion. That's already pretty cool, I think. But what's even better is that God said, you know what? I'm going to come and be the slave. Here you are, here I am, and things are taking advantage of us. The greater story of Jesus and his scriptures is that, is that it's not just Abram and Sarah being bad slave masters. It's that there's something called evil in our world that exists outside of us and it is, exists within us. And that evil is the slave master, is the ultimate slave master. And we cannot be freed of that slave master unless there's another slave that comes and takes our place. Jesus comes as the slave to take our place so that we can be free. Did you know that God sees you and I to that extent? And he longs to be with us in the midst of our oppressive situations so that we can be free. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just process some of these thoughts here that we've talked about. Process perhaps the story that we're reading, process this idea that Jesus is the ultimate slave. Just kind of take a moment to process what hits you, what strikes you, what's speaking to you now. And after about two minutes, we'll... So, one of the, um, again, one of, one of the, the really powerful, uh, there, there are many powerful, I think, takeaways from this story. Um, I hope as we've read through it this morning, you, you're beginning to see how this story might relate to your life and how it might relate to your situation right now or, or relate to people you care for, people you love, people in your family, in your friend circles, your neighbors, people in our city. Um, I think this is such a, a powerful, powerful story because, you know, as a, as a pastor figure for our city, I, don't, I, I feel like every week I'm engaged in conversations, at least with a handful of people who feel like just God doesn't see, that God doesn't understand, that God somehow because of circumstances, because they're going through this, that, and other, God just doesn't see. And it's a very difficult place to be. 
Many of us have been there. Many of us perhaps are there. I hope this morning, this story, this message that God sees you and he's done more than just see you. He's become like you and I to walk with us, to be with us, to ultimately take our place as a slave so we could be free. I hope that's something you can accept and receive and say, okay, I, I take that for myself. But before we get to that place, I, I have a prayer actually this morning that I'd like for us to, to pray out loud together just to, to receive that. But let me just point out one more interesting detail about the story because I think practically we've got to figure out, okay, so what does that mean, especially if I feel like I'm in the dumps right now, if I feel like I am stuck and there's no way out, there's no, I mean, there's just no way through this. What I find very interesting about this story, if you take a look, and you look at number nine or verse nine, one of the first things the angel of the Lord, and many scholars believe this is like a manifestation of God himself, what the angel of the Lord says, the very first thing he says, I think is very difficult to swallow. He says this, return to your mistress and submit to her. And you're like, wait, hold up. Like this, this is like, you're like, hold on, God. Wait, what are you saying? This is a woman who's been abused, who's been taken advantage of. This is a woman who is a slave, and you're asking her to go submit to this abusive, horrific situation? Like, what do you mean, God, that you see her? Do you really see her? Do you really understand her? Again, I think the, the answer is yes, because that ultimately, again, God doesn't just see her. God actually comes later to be the slave, become the slave. So we know God does understand. But I think it's important just to, to process that a little bit and just to realize that even as God sees us, he may not take us out of our circumstances right away. He will bless us. There's a blessing here, right? This whole thing is a blessing to Hagar and her child. He will bless us, but that doesn't mean he cleans up everything right away. Eventually, Hagar will move out. We'll come to that story a few chapters later. Hagar will return. The child will be born. Ishmael, as a teenager, will get in a conflict with the family again. And then at that time, God will move them out completely from the family. But it doesn't get cleaned up right away. So I want to just lead that with us as we think about how God is inviting us to receive what he has for us today. How God is inviting us to realize that he sees us, that he's been with us, and that he is with us now. He may not take us out right away. He may not clean it all up. But we still have a chance to receive that reality, that he sees us, and that he is with us right now. I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. And if you could take a moment and just look at this for a few seconds, and then I'm going to just invite us to pray this out loud together this morning. And then afterwards, 
I'll invite up the musicians who will lead us into a time of communion and what have you. So just take a moment and look at it if you can. And can I invite us to pray this out loud all together here this morning then. God, I confess I do not understand your ways. I do not see as you see. Forgive me for not trusting you. Give me faith to trust you, to trust that you see. And thank you for doing more than just seeing. Thank you for becoming like me and giving me freedom. I receive your gift afresh today.